Hello and welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast. Just a massive thank you before we start to wherever you are listening to this. Just a word of warning, we do this podcast three times a week, but we're not always sure which day it's going to be on. So the only way to keep your finger on the pulse and listen to the latest episode is to subscribe, get notifications. Why not drop us a review while you're there? Right, enough of that. Let's talk some rugby. I'm Ben James. I'm joined by Simon Thomas and Andy Howe. We're back on the podcast. B, how are we doing, gents? Great, yes, thank nice you. Nice to be back here. I, mean, I, I did. I was asked by a couple of people after the World Cup, "What am I going to do now? The rugby's finished." So I did keep my <laughs> cool when they was asked that, and the answer is, rugby never goes away. Indeed, it doesn't. It's been a, a busy weekend on the rugby front for us boys, hasn't it? It has with the Guinness uh, Guinness Pro Fourteen uh, Welsh Regents back in action. Um, Still with the most, most, you know, mostly without their Wales uh, players from the uh, World Cup. Um, two Welsh victories: Scarlets, Cardiff Blues. Two defeats: Dragons and Ospreys. Indeed, let's start with the Ospreys then, because uh, that's probably the best place to start. Well, not the best place, the worst place to start. In fact, um, it's not going particularly well, is it? Well, to put it in context, that it's a Southern Kings' first away win in the Pro 14. They've been the whipping boys since they came into the, the competition a couple of years ago. I watched that game in the press room at the Arms Park ahead of the Blues game against the Cheetahs. And, uh, you know, people were sort of shaking their heads looking at it. And you knew that the Ospreys were in quite a bad place. But I don't think we, any of us realised just how bad it was. And I think there was a quote from Alan Clark, the head coach, saying that's the, uh, the bottom of the pit they've reached now. And there's a big challenge to them, Andy, now is now how they get out of this mess because it, it doesn't get any easier because they now head into Europe where they've got Racing, Munster and an angry Saracens. <laughs> First match in Europe is against uh, Munster. Difficult. You know, there is a slight mitigation with the uh, Ospreys in the fact they're missing almost the team of internationals because of the uh, Internet World, um, World Cup. And, and injuries. injuries. They've got a lot of injuries as well. So that has weakened their uh, second string. Um but um, you know they were just shocking. Their attack was shocking against the uh, Kings. What I would say though is obviously they are missing a full team of internationals, but then surely that highlights the problem with their squad policy no. because you you go a large part in in these Pro Fourteen seasons without having those first teamers. It, you it, saw last year that the Ospreys basically their sort of their strategy was to sort of target 10, 15 games where you had George North, Allen, Wynne Jones, Justin Tipperary playing, look to win those and then send the kids to like Munster away. It, it, it's it's not a balanced squad, is it? And that's and then when you do get a World Cup year or you get a few injuries, it, that becomes exposed. Well, it's not, you know, they have had a lot of injuries. Let's face you know, facture a minute now. You've got Dan Evans out, you've got James King, you've got Corey, um, Corey Allen, Keelan Giles, a um, couple of other forwards as well. I think it's about nine players currently injured. That you know who would have been playing regularly in these matches, so their squad has been weakened uh, uh, because of that. But you know it can be argued now their Pro 14 season is already over because their chances of reaching the Pro 14 playoffs are virtually gone. And uh, if they um, if they were to qualify from the Champions Cup for the quarterfinals, it would be one of the biggest shocks in the history of rugby union. So the thing is, for me, if you look at it, they lost Corey Allen. And Keelan Giles very early on in the mm. season. And Dan Evans. For the season. I'm not quite sure how long Dan is up. He's still out at the James moment. King. They're also, but I'm thinking in particularly the back mm. division, they already knew they were going to be without Gareth Anscombe for the season. And obviously they're missing Wales players. You just felt like with those, you know, 
trio of back division injuries at the start of the season, they had to really somehow try and bring people in. I know it's difficult because, you know, there's budgetary constraints, but having lost those players, I mean, they're, they're getting by now. On how many, I'm trying to think how many fit-backs there are. There's probably only about nine fit-backs of the club at the moment. It's really yeah. hard, and you're asking a lot of kids then going in, stepping up all together. It's, it's, it's not a huge surprise what's happened, really, is it? Having said that, the back division, they feel that the weekend should be far more capable. Than 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 it than it proved, you know. You had Scott Williams, who was okay. In fairness, looked uh, sharp. I thought that was uh, would have interested the watching Wayne Pivot, the new Wales coach. Uh, Teen and Thomas Wheeler, Wales under twenty, one of their begin players, was in the centre with him. They had that uh, f- uh, famous Namibian international Leslie Clay on the one wing, and uh, Anno Dirksen, who you know has got a nose for the try line, and then young Kai Evans, who has been touted as a uh, one to watch at uh, fullback. And the halfback starting off with Luke Price um, and Sean Sean Render. Yeah, now why they signed him, I do not know. I've got a question. The signing policy of the coach, Alan Clark, because, um, you know, Tom Abfield, who I noticed was playing for Cardiff RFC the other night, is a much better player than Sean Render, and he's Welsh. Why have they brought Render over? You know, he's adequate, but he's not, he doesn't look anything special, which we already knew from, who, from the rugby he'd played in the Pro 14 before for his South African franchise. The interesting thing for me now is as they move into Europe, um, how many of the Wales World Cup squad players will be available for this first game against Munster? It's chatting to a few people. I think um, Nicky Smith will probably come back into it, as will Ali Davis, Scrum Alford, very limited rugby of the World Cup. I think Adam Beard might well as well, because he obviously had made a late start to the tournament. Bradley Davis. Bradley Davis. So you've got four players there, which will help, will bring a, a bit more ballast to the team. Um, but I watched it, the pack was well, the pack wasn't too bad mind against the Kings in fairness it's to the back division is it? Yeah. yeah, there's a back division. The pack went well. The lineup was very good. A lot, a lot, a lot played really well. Lots has fallen the on the shoulders right. of of uh, Luke Price. Yeah, which is unfortunate because obviously they signed Gareth Anscombe. They let Sam Davis go. First game uh, for Wales at Twickenham in the summer. Anscombe uh, does his ligaments. Get one thing straight: they didn't let Sam Davis go, though. Uh, Sam Davis went for the right reasons because he thought he could uh, uh, improve his rugby career and his prospects by signing for the Dragons. It's, it's telling us now that, yeah. that they've been heavily linked with Marty McKenzie, you know, um, Damian McKenzie's brother, I believe, and um, I think the Chiefs he's with, isn't he? And, yeah, um, you know, that would be he's not that's a bad player. Actually. That would be that's the kind of thing they need to try and pull off, really, isn't it? Because um, they need just a little bit more quality and experience in that back division. Because basically, it's a rocky period they're going through. Um, our colleague Mark Orders will be down there today at the Ospreys press conference, and it'll be fascinating to see uh, what kind of attitude there is down there. Will it be the old circling of the wagons? I don't know. I mean, I, I don't quite know where they go from here. No, I mean, they have got James Hook in the squad, of course. We're talking about outside halves, and he came on for, uh, for Price in yep. the. Uh, was it at half time? I think he came on wasn't oh, it? just early in the second half. 50, and he, 50 and he actually was showing some good stuff. He played well. Hook, I mean, but he's been surplus to requirements there. Almost since they signed him, uh, which was uh, was after last last season, was it? He come back from Gloucester mm. or something, and uh, Hook was doing quite well. And then, of course, and then he took an accidental knee to the uh, head and had to go off for an HIA. Price came back on and actually did well, created a good try and looked not too bad during that uh, period. But then Hook passed the HIA, so they clearly thought a drop goal. They needed a drop goal or a penalty to win the match, and Hook is good at dropping goals, so they put him back on. He had two penalty attempts. The first he'd normally um, land, but he failed, and then they went for uh, one which was outside his uh, range of the final kick of the uh, match. 
Uh, if I'd been them, actually, I would have kept Luke Price on there because of what he'd uh, done minutes before, and Hook had had a heck of a knock to the head. But what was the crowd, Andy? Well, I don't know, but it didn't look a lot. No. So were, you know, it was the Kings, after all. It was pouring down with rain yeah. in uh, Swansea. Uh, you know, how many season tickets the Ospreys sell for this season? If this carries on, you know, last season, there was they were going to merge with the Scarlets, and then it was off. If this carries on, though, uh, you wonder... Um, you know what the effect is going to be on their uh, on their business. Yeah, indeed. We we've talked there about sort of the squad and the player injuries. What about the coaching staff? What, how how much of the burden falls on their shoulders? Obviously, Alan Clark uh, has been there. This is his third season now, or into his third season, second full second season as a uh, permanent head, yeah. uh, head coach. Well, I think the um, you know these. Two years into the job, he's got to be. Uh, he's got to be really should be improving the team. Uh, I mean, they sacked uh, Steve Tandy because of results, but the results were a lot better under Tandy than they are under Alan Clark. Although he has got this injury crisis to deal with, plus those players being away. World Cup, I could see on the uh, Matt Sherratt, the backs coach, who is highly rated by players and was rated by the Blues. Uh, worked a bit with Wales previously. You could see he was absolutely furious, the back play of the Ospreys, or should I say, lack of uh, of uh, back play. End of the day, it's a results business, and a buck stops with the coach. Uh, if this carries on, uh, you wonder, uh, you know, how long would Alan Clark, would, uh, uh, will, how long will he survive with, because uh, all the other things, uh, the potential losses of income from uh, lower crowds, etc. Yeah, he's under pressure. It's clear he's under pressure, and it's a difficult time. Coaches go through it, and it's how you respond, isn't it? Yeah. However, do the problems start higher up? Then I was going to say that because you think Tand, you know, obviously Tandy got the sack after a bit of fan displeasure. It's now fan displeasure with Alan Clark. But when 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 you're getting consistent coaches struggling in the job, it usually points that something's not quite right further upstairs. What do you think, Simon? Well, they've had a change upstairs in a sense, haven't they? Really, because obviously. with Rob Davis coming back more heavily involved, and he, it seemed that you know he was very much revitalized by the merger discussions. You know, you clearly that wasn't going to happen. He's come back in, um, but I suppose you look at the team they've got on the field at the moment, and the bottom line, it it doesn't really look good enough, does it? You know, and it's it's going to be hard for them no, in no, Europe, isn't no. it? Yeah, you know, but then they throw out there, you know, like uh, I was thrown out last week, I think it was, uh, about signing Liam Williams. Well, they're clutching the straws or, or, or what? Would Why would Liam with... Williams want to go, go to the Ospreys when you see their product as it currently is? Because they don't really play that attractive rugby either. You know, they're the limited sort of team, even when they got the best team out. I think we're seeing how much Dan Evans contributes to the attack when he's not there. You know, yeah, just, you are Dan Hanscom much... and Dan Evans. And it's a very different setup, yeah. isn't it? But, yeah, yeah. but that's maybe that's, maybe that's a concern that they are reliant or over reliant on people well, like, because like they Dan Evans. Budget. Although Gas Davis, six point three million. Though Gas Davis, the Welsh Rugby Union chairman, was quick to point out last week that the regions are getting a substantial amount of money from the WIU and more than ever. And but, he says that should be emphasised that the you know how much they actually get in uh, with the Ospreys. If they could put their first team on a pitch, they'd be a match for anyone for the WIU Stadium. Going back, Silence. yeah, going back to Clark. Who I know, I mean, that's that's the point I made earlier. Mm. Is the fact that they they almost rely on the fact that they have they have got a very good first team, but it doesn't really trickle down into the squad. Which 
you you can't play the Pro 14 that way when you've we, got Wales internationals because you can't you can't rely on having those players available week in week out. Yeah, you can't either because the Ospreys, despite what you notice, I said they've got a very good team capable of beating anyone at the Liberty Stadium. They've never had a really good away record, even with that team. You know, that team with their best team goes to places Glasgow, Edinburgh, and all. And invariably loses. It's a funny one. Last season, if I recall, they were heavily beaten. I think it was a corner of 40-odd points in one game. And then within a matter of four or five weeks, they had everybody back. And they went on this winning run towards the end of the season. And they ended up as our only team qualifying yeah. for the Champions Cup. Which did show, you know, when they were able to put that strong side up. But there is too much of a rift, isn't there, between the first team and when the first team I are not available. We, we, not rift, too much of a difference, you know. Because we saw we saw that at the start of the season as well. Because we saw, I think they they beat Edinburgh at home and George North was scoring tries. And then the first away game they had was Munster, and it was literally just it was the well, kids. This was with Clark, you know. Clark was guilty of throwing that. Oh, probably <laughs> you know, giving that game up before they went there by the team he picked. He rested players. Yeah, on trip to Munster, you know, and okay, Munster. Fantastic pedigree and all the rest. But on paper, he, they're not a great team. I mean, but what, fair, what in, Munster do, in, what the Ospreys do, yeah. is they get the most out of their collective. I would say, in fairness to Clark, he never, after that, he never sort of changed the teams as drastically he, as that he, again, did he? Well, he wrote off the Challenge Cup because they went to Worcester with a look of playing on a flank. I mean, the, the thing is, the contrast is there in Welsh rugby because you've got the Ospreys in the situation they are missing, you know, probably double-figure number of players. And you've got the Scarlets are missing 15 players and have won, uh, was it five of the first six games? So, you know, I know they've got a budget which is about a million and a half, million four ahead, but the contrast is stark, isn't it? How they're dealing with the situation yeah. ahead. Yeah, there's a feel good factor at the Scarlets, isn't it? And, they, and, you know, they've got this new, co- they've got a new coach, Brad Moore, New Zealand. And they're grinding out wins. Yeah. Which is almost, that's back to sort of. The way the Scarlets won the league, wasn't it? Because when when before Pivac, when Pivac won the league, they they got a lot of their results in the international windows. On the back of that success, when more Scarlets players were getting capped, maybe they didn't know how to react to that in terms of of dealing with the the thinness in the squad. But it looks like they're sort of back they, to back to dealing with that again. With fifteen players missing, they're still able to put Samson Lee and Werner Kruger in a tight end prop. They've still got Rob Evans there. They've got Isaiah Kasim there. Steph Evans has recaptured form. Um, Dan Jones has been playing well at Fly Half. Kieran Hardy looks at quality scrum half. They've got and they've got a lot of quality players to come in. Yeah. I think they are genuine serious contenders for the Pro Fourteen title this well, season. Pro Fourteen and European Challenge Cup. Um, what they got there is a feel good factor, and they got the winning mentality, and he used to win it. And it, you know, as we said many times in the past, it's all about success at the end of the day. So their fans are going to matches enthused about the product and the chances of the results. Osprey's fans probably go into matches fearing the worst. Mind you, last season, that wasn't the case with the Scarlets. They, no. they fell off the, the ball you know, yeah, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, but then, the same perhaps as the Ospreys, they had so, they had so many injuries. They were, I don't think uh, they yeah. were able to put their, uh, what was Wayne Pivock's perceived first choice team on a pitch on on any occasion. The, selection, the, the recruitment they've made has been important in terms of mm. dealing with those situations. Yeah, because I, th- I think, Wayne Pivak had identified those problems, but obviously he was in, into his last year at that point. So he'd made some recruitments. He brought uh, Kazium and he brought Blake Thompson because he knew the Scarlets had to develop that grit. Because remember, I think it was at Bath at, at, at Parker Scarlets and then Leinster did them twice. Mm. Just absolutely outpowered them. So he knew he had to develop that side of the game. Um, obviously last season, 
in the job, so he couldn't really implement it as much. But Brad Moore's come in, carried on those signings, brought in more sort of players along those lines. What we've also got, yeah, what we've also got there is a few homegrown players who are really coming of age. And I'm Josh McLeod's been excellent this season yeah. so far. Two man of the match awards. I was intrigued to see Corey Baldwin starting at 13. Now with the injury to Jonathan Davis, they need some extra. Um, he was actually he played on a wing at the weekend. Like Corey, yeah, but he, I mean, <laughs> he, I think, he is a good centre. Yeah, Wales in twenties. I think that he's someone who more. Clearly rates, and I think you're going to come to the equation. You've got Ryan Combier coming through as well. I've mentioned Kieran Hardy already. Tyler Dave, Taylor Davis, the hooker, looks a good prospect. So they've it's an academy there, isn't it? It's a yeah. production line down there. And it's looking really, really good. And um, yeah, and Moore seems to have, you know, be popular with the fans. He he was you know talking on the TV over the weekend. He just comes across I've met him a couple of times, he's just like a really affable guy, but you know, a hard rugby mind yeah. as well. I think, yeah, they're in a good place. He's, a, yeah, I wouldn't say, you know, the pivot was good. Uh, more that is almost like a breath of uh, fresh air. He's clearly a bright bloke. I think could have a conversation with him about anything. I think he's worldly. Experienced coaches yeah, there on that. Experience, yeah. you know, he's come from the Crusaders, super rugby kings, simple. And it, this is a, let's face facts, this is a step in stone for him. On his journey, wants to prove he can be an head coach because he never has been at pro level uh, before. And ulti- his ultimate goal would be to coach the All Blacks. Simple as, and this is a stage. This is a staging poster on it. He's very positive. What he's what they've done there. They're all wearing caps and all. It's all part of the thing to bring them, uh, bring them together. And uh, you see, you know, you can tell by the um, what the players are saying, and all they are loving it there. How tall is he? This is a this is a debate that rages in the office. Um, How tall is who? Brad Moore. Is he taller than me? My wife stood next to him, and he's he's a little bit shorter than me. So yeah, he, yeah, he, yeah I tall. thought I'd seen the pictures of him, you know, that he looked a lanky sort of guy, but it turns out he's not. And obviously, Andy's the first thing Andy's mind goes to is height. So I, I we're sort of interested. I'd say, but, you, I'd say he's about five foot eleven, something like that. Right. How tall uh, are you? Then, expect- <laughs> Six foot two. <laughs> yeah, so, so you shrink. Wasn't, wasn't, wasn't probably Army with all you sitting next to you all this yeah. time, and he's shrinking. Uh, anyone shrink? Oh, what do you mean? Why did you say that? Brown to the dragons. Certainly no shrinking by that. Out of the dragons. There we go. A nice little detour. That now question. we both watched the dragons, Andrew, didn't we? You yes. Them? Yes. Uh, I, I mean, covered It was an interesting start before the game. That obviously the way to Edinburgh, at Murrayfield. Edinburgh's first two home games, it scored seven tries in both those games, one including the smashing of the Scarlets. Scarlets won two <clears> performance of the season. And they had um, a number of Scotland players back. Barkley was back. Um, they had Richie was on the bench. Uh, Marcus Bradbury started in the back row. It was a strong Edinburgh team. And um, I thought the the Dragons gave a pretty good account of themselves. Yes, they went down to a defeat. But um, the thing that really struck me, and I think this is the, the key when I look at their team now under Dean Ryan, he, they are playing for him. Whatever you think. They're, they're a limited squad, you know, in terms of the depth and perhaps some of the quality, but they put their bodies on the line. Edinburgh had two or three passages where they were hammering away at the Dragons line. And every single Dragons player put his body out there, you know, for the cause. And I thought they were good. And... The one thing they did lack, uh, it's, a, it's an endemic thing in Welsh rugby, they lack a bit of ball carrying and gain line breaking, but they did carve out a lovely try, Andy, didn't they? Created oh, by Sam Sam Davis. Davis. Yeah. yeah, Rodri Williams and Sam Davis, sort of Rodri went a bit Adam of an act. Sam Davis and his delayed pass was top draw to put Adam Warren over for the try on his 100th appearance for, for the Dragons. Yeah. You say about uh, you know the grit that um, Dragons um, uh, had up there, yeah. and it was the man at the forefront of that was the old Richard Ibad. You got handed to him, you know, veteran hooker and all that. I think he was on the entire game and he just gave it 100%. He was flying into the tackle, smashing people and all the rest of it. Edinburgh went on that pitch as well, thinking we scored seven tries in our last. We're going to get a bonus point. 
and they made a mistake, which the Scarlets actually made the, the following night against uh, Benetton, and almost, that match almost ended up being a draw, but and being for a, a last-minute penalty, which they decided to kick a goal, because the Scarlets and Edinburgh both turned down kickable penalties, which would have, uh, you know, given them a buffer, uh, because they were searching tries. They all think in bonus points. Now, I think my team's again carried away with uh, not taking points when they're on offer, because I think you there's times when you need to build a lead, and that's what can crack the opposition. The Scarlet's one was bizarre. I think it was about 74, 75 minutes on the clock. They had a pe- they were winning by three points. They had a penalty and they kicked the touch, but they only had two tries. Right, yeah. It wasn't as if they w- w- were one try away from it. Missed the kick, other end of the field, uh, Benetton score. And, you know, if it hadn't been for the late scrum penalty, it would have been, they'd have, you know, thrown a few points away. Um, but the, I tell you, uh, back to the Dragons, the other player who I was really impressed with and pleased to see him play well was Harrison Keddy. Yeah. We talked about him for a number of years. You know, he came through in the under um, under twenties, I think, when they had that grand slam. Yeah, he, was he was a key key man in that set. Hasn't really kicked on. He's, He's had a, a few injuries. injuries, but I liked the look of him at the weekend. And you know, I thought he really looked like someone who, if he can stay fit now, I mean, you look at the back row riches the Dragons have got. That back row of the weekend was Hugh Taylor, Harrison Keddy, and Tane Basham. We talked about Tane Basham before. Lovely feet, skillful player, quick. Really quick over the ground, as you showed with the break against Edinburgh. And then you've got Wainwright to come back in from the World Cup, Moriarty to come back in. And, of course, the other one is Ollie Griffiths, mm. who, you know, every, it's just like every game he plays, he's man of the match. And then he's off for four, five, six weeks injured. He's got, he's got a calf problem again he's now. He's going to miss out on any chance to play for Wales against Barbados. Very difficult. He's in the because he's it's, it's a bit like War, Warby, isn't it, a little bit? But yeah, like Warby, well, that's his nickname, is Warby. But not because of the different, injuries. Different it reasons. wasn't for the injuries. Yeah, he's just built. Though you can apply it to him. But because he's built like Warburton, he spends so much time in the gym uh, pumping iron, and he's so dedicated to training and, uh, and nutrition and the rest. Like Warby he was you know, called Warby years ago. And now he's followed Sam as having a string of injuries. The, the one thing they do have, it's a bit of a perpetual problem. And their front five needs a bit of reinforcing. And doesn't it? again, Corey Hill back fit. Leon Brown, we talked a lot about him. He's had a few penalties against you. You watched him, and Leon Brown is work in progress. And he's a, he's a young prop. He's in the Wales squad. He was getting heavily penalised when he was with Wales before the match at the weekend in scrums for the Dragons this season. One, not sure how many games he'd actually played, but he'd been penalised eleven times at scrum. That became 12-13 against uh, Edinburgh. Although the scrum was, it did improve a bit against Edinburgh. So, uh, you know, it's a case they've got to keep working with him, I guess. And that's the kind of test he's got to go through because mm-hmm. Pierre Schumann is one of the best loose heads in the Pro 14. Mm-hmm. You know, he, uh, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because it, once you've given a few penalties, it, whether they like it or not, it's inevitably referees are aware of it, aren't yeah. they? And they're looking a little bit more. At him. I mean, there are a couple of where he just his legs went from under him. But it's just he's young, isn't yeah. he? Yeah, exactly. You know, if someone's got previous rest, look there. But he wasn't only one uh, penalised. Fair brother came on and was penalised. Yeah, wasn't he? and the dragons had problems. And Luce said Brock, Brock, Brock. Alice, who was bemused. He was uh, <laughs> he was um, penalised as well. Mindset. But the scrum was a bit better, and the other area was a lot better because Edinburgh were going for the corner and those things that because the, they saw the Dragons as being soft and defending driving lineouts. The Dragons actually did really well at stopping them there. We really organised, and I think that was a, another sign of Dean Ryan's work. What I quite like about them as well is because out of necessity, because they've got a small squad, they're pretty much playing the same team each week. Even you know, it's putting a lot of burden on Rodri Williams and, and, and Sam Davis. They're playing every week, but. It does have that feel, almost like a club side, you know, like lower level club side. You, you play every week, get to know each other, you know your strengths. Well, it's good for Dean, Dean Ryan said the other week, didn't he? he said he's just waiting for the opportunity to drop Sam Davis, just because yeah, he's, 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 he's carried that burden. 
Yeah, but it's yeah. good to that he's playing and he's at a rhythm. He's a yeah. good player. For Dragons can get everyone on a pitch. They'll have a really, they have a good side. I mean, uh, what the, the, I think the problem, uh, which I understand, which is, uh, you know, Dean is uh, having really, is he looks at his team sheet, sees a really good team on uh, on paper, and they've gone to the places or played teams which have, uh, because of the World Cup, have been uh, weakened and suffers a few couple of heavy defeats. Now, he just can't get his head around it. For me, that suggests it's still a lot of their problems uh, are mental. Uh, the baggage of what's happened in the uh, past. Once they can, st- if they can start picking up wins, make Rodney Parade uh, a fortress, and uh, in time, the more wins you get, the more confident you get, and the uh, harder challenge you have for opponents. What encouraged me was I watched the week before against Leinster, and it was a similar thing. They were competitive for thirty minutes, but then as soon as Leinster went a couple of tries ahead, mm. it's like the Dragons kicked back into, oh yeah, this, this is what happens to us. That happened that, against but, Connaught and Munster. Yeah, but it didn't happen against Edinburgh. In fairness, that there was a real, you know. You know, fortitude to them. They stuck in there, and they weren't going to cave in. I think that game, although it was a defeat, I would think Dean Ryan would have taken a lot out of that. Yeah, because they've had some heavy defeats at Edinburgh in the past. I remember mm. going up at the Challenge Cup semi-final a few years ago, um, and they, you know, they got <coughs> hammered and they've had a few hammerings there since. Uh, some of their worst performances have actually been at Murrayfield, but that was much better. And I think they're being uh, encouraged about that. On to the Cardiff Blues. Um, yeah. Nice positive result on a Saturday evening at the Arms Park. I don't think he's been to the Arms Park yet this season, but there's a new press room there, Andrew. And it's um, it's across the way from the, the, the dressing room areas. In It's actually in part of the Principality Stadium. It's one of those kind of storage rooms. And it's a big room, which they've knocked into a nice little press room there because obviously they've had the changes with the players coming back in the training ground. They're using different buildings for different things. But because you're there... You've got a very good sort of uh, listening point for anything that goes on in the home dressing room. And I will say that uh, compared to the Munster game, it was a very different soundtrack. After the Munster game, um, you could hear John Melverhill um, being a bit cross. (laughs) It was full Mike Bassett. And uh, he really tore them off a strip uh, because it had been a poor performance, particularly defensively against Munster. And I think, you know, he said after that, explaining what he did, he said he'd been positive all the season through, but it was, a, you know, sometimes you've got to have it, haven't you? And he let them know in no uncertain terms that, you know, if players didn't want to turn up, uh, make tackles, perhaps they shouldn't be turning up on the Monday. It was a real, you know, sometimes you've got to do it, you know, because he's a nice guy, but at some point when the performance isn't good enough, you've got to read yeah. the riot act. And it looks like it worked because it was a very different blues against the Cheetahs. And the soundtrack after the game was very different as well. Our old friend Carl Kruger was in there leading the singing. You could hear <laughs> it belting out, all of them singing along the blues song. A very happy ship, very different to a week previously. So, yeah, I spoke to Jared Evans after the game, who was man of the match. And he turned the corner. He felt the blues as a team turned the corner as well. And what he said was quite interesting. He said, we played the Cardiff Blues way. And there was certainly was a more attacking vim, and it was a, an encouraging display, albeit for 65 minutes against 14 men after sending off with a madness from the uh, Cheetahs number eight. What did you think of Jared Evans being picked at inside centre? Of course, that didn't last too long because Tubby got injured, so Tubby got injured yeah. to go off. And how did him and Tubby work together? It worked well. I mean, we, I spoke to John Melville about it after the game, and he pointed out, I'd forgotten this, that actually uh, Jared played at 12 against Saracens, against Saracens yep. last season. I was, I and he made, he made the point that 
um, at half time, the Blues were leading 16 10. It was, I think it was the game where Matthew Morgan scored that sensational long range try. Jared then got injured, had to come off, and things fell away a little bit. So he's, I think, we talked about it before, I think he's always had at the back of his mind this idea, he has, he said you know, and, and I, I, I asked Jared after the game what he sees himself as, and he says, oh, I still see myself as a 10, but I'll, you know, I'll play with it where, where the um, team needs. I said that to John in the week. If you want me to play 12, so be it. And he made the point that a lot of teams at the World Cup are using the dual playmaker system. We've talked about it so much. I mean, Tevi's an old hand. He knows what he's doing. Uh, you could tell there was good communication between them, a good chat out there. And it just frees up things a little bit for Jared because he's not having to make all the decisions. You saw for the previous two seasons where he was in that dual role with Gareth Anscombe. And it takes a little bit of the pressure off Jared having Anscombe there as well. Now, that has gone, and all of a sudden, everything was on his shoulders for the first few weeks of the season. He also had the disappointment of missing out in the World Cup, which he admitted to me is taking its yeah. toll. Took him a while to get over that. Well, it was it was like a public audition, wasn't it? It was, and it's gone bad, and then you have to go back, and you're watching from afar. But what, interestingly, what he said was, now the World Cup players are back. There were a few of them in the clubhouse after the game of the weekend. And now that they're back, you can park that. World Cup's gone. The disappointment is behind me and he kicks on. And he was playing with freedom. And what was good, he, it worked well when he was alongside Tuvi. The variation, you're two people playing and you've got a wider kicking option as well. And then when he moved to 10, you could see that having gone well at 12, having taken over the kicking duties when Tuvi went off, landed a few kicks, you could just see the confidence building in him. And it's really important because you look at this Wales-Barbarians game now, Dan Bigger's not available because he's uh, English-based with Northampton. Reese Patchell took that bang to the shoulder against New Zealand. We're not sure what his state is. So, you know, Jared could well be the man playing at 10. But I think moving forward, it's fascinating because you've got young Ben Thomas coming through the Blues as well, who's a 10-12 also. I can see moving down the line, those two being the midfield pairing for the Blues, you know, because they can both interchange. They've both got nice hands. Jared is an exciting player. And once he gets his mojo and his confidence back, it's good for Blues and it's good for Wales as well. Yeah, he's a very yeah. good player. And I thought the other bloke who played really well at the weekend and helped them while they were trying to spread the ball by looking for work and hitting angles was Harry Millard. Doesn't he run hard? And he picks it. I know he was playing out of position on a wing, but he was running great angles. I think that could be that, that could be where they see him. Because what he does, he makes centre breaks. He makes centre. He makes centre breaks. He's had a couple of goes in the centre this season. It didn't quite work for him, but he was hitting centre lines from a wider position. And if you look, the first try the Blues scored, he sliced through from his own half, gave a scoring pass to Alex Summerhill. Unfortunately, Summerhill stumbled, was was brought to ground, recycled, went left, went right again, and when it came to Mel, exactly the same through, cut through. What he's got is that ability, a little bit of a show. And he's got the pace to go away. And what, he's got what, good hands. What he's really good at, Millard, and why he's a good outside centre, is he's really good at fixing defenders yeah. and passing at the right time. Exactly. That's what he gets to try. Passing, yeah. you know, which is what he did for that when the guy fell over. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, he was a, he played really well for them in the centre uh, last season. Yeah. Um, and hopefully he's going to you know, get opportunities there. There were a couple of other performances which are, you know, interesting from an international perspective. Willis Hallaholo came off the bench and it was made for him because the Cheetahs were down a man. Yeah. And the, the, the second try was Josh Turnbull scored in the corner. He, he must have put about five steps in. Yeah. He's a cla- he, you know, you know what he can do in broken field. That really, that really helped. Going back to that, helped Jared as well, didn't it? Because yeah. then when Jared had switched back to 10, you suddenly have that really sort of... Well, he straightened the he straightened the play up by stepping inside so much, and that just allows Jared yeah. to then hit the hit the, hit the gaps out wide. If you look at it, I mean, our centre resources in Wales are pretty slim. Um, 
you know, Hadley Parks has had this injury. Jonathan Davis has been injured. You don't probably see either of those involved against the Bar Bars. Um, do you think Halla Hollow will come on board? He's got a chance, haven't he? You, you, you'd almost have to say no. Is it no? Because of course he's no qualified or, now. Yeah, yeah. Is it no or never? If you're gonna, if you're gonna, if you're serious about him, he's twenty nine now. So yeah, I know. If you're serious about him, you need to involve him now rather than bring him in Six Nations time. You want to throw him in Six I mean, Nations. You're gonna play, play exactly, against Barbarians because you got Six Nations, which mm. Wayne Pivar can't afford to do poorly in. Yes, because it's a results based business. You got a tour in New Zealand, which isn't. I mean. In in some ways, it's the ideal place to blood new players because you're not going to get a tougher test. But on the other hand, it can it can finish you off. It can finish you off. McNichols, the other one, of course, he's qualified now. I mean, you, you could see you know both of those possibly start against the Barbarians, really, given the injury issues and the availability. But I mean, the other one was Seb Davis. I mean, Seb's had a tricky start to the season, like Jared, been on the bench a fair bit at the time, um, and he, he started because Rory Thornton is now injured, so Seb got a chance and was was more like it, you know. And I think he benefited from the way the I mean the Blues were playing with freedom. You spoke to John Melville Hill in the week going into it, and it was clear that attack was going to be the, the mantra. <laughs> yeah, it it very much was, and they were given a license and a freedom out there. I mean, the thing with Jared, like sometimes you watch him and you think he's trying the miracle thing every time. He's trying to make incredible things happen, and I suppose and he admit, himself admitted this after the game. With him, what he's got to find is the time to go for it. And the time just to take a step back. If it's rubbish goal, give it on, kick it, give it a short pass. And that's all about learning, isn't it? Yeah, that's what the great Barry John says. You know, if it was never on in a game to run, he never did. Because only when it was on, you do it. It's pick your moments, don't you, when you're in a half back? Mm. Yeah. What well, the other bloke would intrigue me and could, I'll throw this out there, could he make the Wales squad? Matthew Morgan. Matthew's been the Blues' best player this season. Even the, obviously, they've been on a four match losing run prior to the victory of the Cheetahs. But He's been a shining light all season. Yeah, I, I take my hat off because I, I did wonder when he came to the Blues, you know, obviously Clement at fullback, would he be sort of be able to handle it defensively? There were a few little blips early on in his time with the Blues, but he's, he's worked so much in his defence and his positioning, and we all know about his counter-attacking threat. I mean, Andy has a long thought of him as more of a 10. Personally, I think he's shown that 15 is, is where he's best, I think so anyway. Here's a question. No, this is a serious question. Who's the better option for Wales at fullback, Matthew Morgan or Johnny McNichol? Um, when you weigh everything up, age, ability, defence, neither of them are perhaps the best defenders in the world, but they're great with the ball. Who's a better player? I think they both offer different things slightly. I think McNichol's a fantastic finisher as well. You know, I think McNichol, you need to get him involved in this Barbarians game, but I, would have, I wouldn't have any issues at all if Matthew Morgan was included in that squad. I think his form over the last 18 months has merited a recall, to be honest. Yeah, ironically, McNichol had perhaps his worst game for the Scarlets at the weekend. He had hardly anything went right for him against Ben. It was one of those games that almost looked like he was trying to add the Wales thing uh, coming up. It just didn't happen for him. Yeah, I mean, he is a class act. The interesting thing now that um, obviously Europe comes up for the Blues as the Scarlets and the Dragons are in the second tier Challenge Cup, so it's probably an opportunity to try a few things. The Blues this week getting are Calvisano. Should, though, the Blues... I know it's Calvisano, which is a club team, not, mm. a, not a fr- Italian franchise. Should the Blues stick with perhaps more or less the same team to get, try and get a rhythm and build confidence after their traumatic start of the season? I think what they'll do, they'll, they'll stick with largely the, the starting side. I think what you'll see, what, what John Mulder was saying afterwards, is that it's an opportunity for two or three younger players to maybe come into the match day 23. The, the people he mentioned, Ben Thomas, we've spoken about earlier, I think he'll be on the bench or maybe even starting. Um, James Botham, 
uh, Jim Bolton. He played well. He played Friday really night. well on Friday night. And, and you know, if players are performing at the Premiership, the Cardiff club said they deserve the chance. Max Llewellyn is another one. Alan Lawrence is on the bench. I think you're going to see a few of these involved and get some game time in Italy. What huh? I like about seeing Bolton's grandson, <laughs> James Bolton, is when he made that break, a spectacular run out of defence, that he can tell straight away he's an intelligent rugby player because he did not die with that ball. He realised he couldn't make it, so what did he do? Didn't run into someone. He looked, he turned, and he looked for support. Really good play. And he's a good athlete as well. I would like to see the Blues against Calvasano this weekend with a midfield, uh, because Tavi took an ankle knock, don't know how long he's going to be out. Uh, a midfield of Jared Evans at 10, Ben Thomas at 12, and Harry Millard at 13. An all-Welsh midfield triangle, dynamic, Dangerous and could be something for the future. I think I think Lilo will play. Lilo was really good at the weekend. But Back why to... play him against them? You know what he can do. Well, I mean, you just said earlier about keeping the side in the momentum, so you're a bit being a contradictory there to a certain well, that's, that's unusual for me, Simon. But the interesting oh, thing about James Botham is I think you will get a chance. Now, so I spoke to Ollie Robinson after the game. Ollie's going to be out for three or four weeks. He's had a little bit of a shoulder problem. He had a shoulder surgery in the, in the summer, and he's in a little bit of a niggle there, just a few weeks. Um, and I think if you look at that background, Josh Davidi's obviously not there yet Ellis Jenkins isn't there just yet um, so Will Boyd has come in and been a good sign in for them but I can see James Botham being involved in the 23 out in Calvasano and getting some game time so you know it's exciting to see these youngsters come through and obviously you've got the likes now um, uh, Josh Adams was there at the clubhouse on, on the weekend you know it was his first time as part of the Blues setup. he's going to be coming on board probably after the Barbarians game you've got Owen Lane coming back um, Dylan Lewis as well you know so it, from a week ago, it was a happier place than it was after yeah. the Munster game. They still certainly. got a fundamental problem, mind against major opposition. That is the strength of their uh, front five. Whether um, they got enough beef to deal with a major opposition, it's a bit of a, it's similar to the Dragons, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, they've needed a big, horrible, nasty second row for a while. The other problem, of course, Dimitri Arhip is injured again. Um, which yeah, is we got Dylan Lewis. Dylan Scrummaging actually came on at the World Cup. Working with a, a scrum, you know, a scrum well, I mean, this is Robin, it. Uh, McBride. Yeah. This is it to me now. That Dylan really, uh, this is a great opportunity for him to come back in after the Barbarians game and really show what he's learned at that World Cup because his his development's been outstanding. I think. Yeah, those two young props mine did as well. They well at the weekend. For the Blues, Azarati and Domachevsky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. I thought they looked. I good. think Corey is coming on nicely. He's a great. <laughs> you can see the shape on Corey Domachevsky. He's a big lad. I thought he had a really solid game, and I think that. Uh, Azarati, unfortunately, you say he, he was only on for 45 seconds. I've never seen anything like it before. He came on as a replacement, got it pinned straight away in the 71st minute. So he, that was his game for the day, 45 seconds. But his chance will come again. There we go. I think that's the region's put to bed. And you probably touched upon all the sort of the Wales players who, who might have laid down a marker for the Barbars game. Can you think of any others from, from the weekend? I think you've crossed um, them all off probably, haven't you? Well, because the guys who were shining in England are not available. The lads at Bristol. That's true. You know, yeah, it's a shame, isn't it? Just lads at Bristol. Now, Simon went to Bristol last week, do some interviews. He obviously had a po- uh, positive effect on him because a fantastic win at Exeter, oh, top of the gala premiership. Well, the piece, piece went and up the, on Sunday, wasn't it? And, and, the, the, scored and the, the, the man try. who scored the winning try was Daniel Thomas. Yeah, so yeah, it was lovely to go down there. They were really amenable and friendly and hospitable. Um, and I wonder, four years on from leading Connaught to the Pro 14, Pro 12 title in a World Cup year, is Pat Lamb going to do the same in England with Bristol? You know, it could be kind of a real symmetry there. 
And uh, there's a there's a real gutsy attitude, and I I was particularly taken with Steam and Leo Tato, Leo Tato, I think is pretty pronounced, don't you? The the back row who's captain for Bristol. He was inter- interviewed uh, on BT Sport by Sarah Elgin um, after the game, and it would have been easy just to sort of you know delight in the victory, made a point of talking about the sacrifices of people in two world wars. That's the kind of attitude, and you know, we we sort of how the the performance was secondary to that being a day of remembrance for them. And that, to me, just kind of sums up the kind of culture, mentality, yeah. and attitude that likes of Pat Lamelo oh, are great. bringing in. So, yeah, they're, they're, they're a mean, mean machine. And they don't lose many players to international call-ups. So, again, during the Six Nations period, they're going to be a very good side. Well, perhaps they could lose some of those Welsh boys. The Wales call-ups, the Six Nations. Um, if you look at the Wales qualified players on the Bristol books, Prothero plays wing fullback. Probably quite a bit of competition there. We know about all the competition at seven for Daniel Thomas. Callum Sheedy's an interesting one. Kicked four more goals yesterday in their victory. Has played in an uncapped match for England. Now, you know, with the injuries that fly off, would Pivak take a kind of, uh, you know, a chance to sort of grab him out of the English nest? Is he better though than... But of course, he's not available for that Barbaz game. And he's uncapped anyway, so he wouldn't be tied. Is he better than Jared Evans, Sam Davis? He's playing well. He's playing really well, and he's he's growing as a as a as starting. A as a Simon Thomas vote of confidence listener. But then I think Sam Davis. I think Sam Davis is playing with a with a, a new confidence, a new enjoyment at the Dragons. And Jared's turned the corner. It's a good yep. position to be in, isn't it? Indeed. Just, just the first time we've done a podcast since the Saracen story is broke with you two on. Obviously, we had Chris Robshaw's thoughts. Um, Quite strong those thoughts, Ben. They were. They were very strong. Um, but then I suppose we saw we saw the backlash on the weekend because every team who spoke out against them last week at the Champions Cup launch lost, and uh, Saracens got the victory. Yeah, but yeah, they weren't all playing Saracens only lost. No, exactly. Yeah, it's, uh, you know that shows how competitive the uh, league is. If you look at the table, it's uh, such a competitive uh, uh, tournament. It's something on every match, and the, and the crowds over there love it. Um, yeah, Saracens. Um, okay, they've appealed against the decision to dock them thirty-five points and. Five million fine, is it? Something like that, Ben. Five million three hundred and which is more than the dragons' wage. Thirty-one pence. <laughs> yeah, um, I think it's the right decision, uh, and I hope that they Not lose it. I hope I hope they lose their appeal because to me this is a form of uh, of uh, doping. It's not uh, performance enhancing doping, but it is what they call financial uh, doping. Because clearly, if they've gone over, they've gone over the salary cap by, uh, uh, in, I guess, in a sort of. Uh, a way of doing it, you know, through the back door, if you like. But of course, it's given them unfair advantage by the, the uh, strength of their squad. Where well, I do feel sympathetic for them, though, as I do for Exeter Chiefs, who were their runners up. If you produce your uh, own players like Sardisons did with Owen Farrell, Mario told you, you know, their wages are going to be obviously going to be bumped up we saw, over time. We saw that. And with- Ex- Exeter, you know, they had to release one of their academy yeah. products in the summer, plus they had to uh, release Santiago. Uh, Cadera, one of the world's top wingers, because they couldn't because of the salary cap. Then you saw that with Quinn. when Quinns won the Premiership in what was it twenty eleven, and they had Rob Shaw, Mike Brown, Danny Kerr, all these English qualified <coughs> players who had, who had been the sort of the spine of that team. Well, suddenly the next time the contracts up renewal, well they they can all command more. I Qu- guess Quinns, that, Quinns haven't been 
close to competing yeah, for the Premiership. I, I guess since. that comes down to good management, and you've got to realise the players who are on upward path and ones you've got to keep, and the, and the coach and the senior management, the club have got a, a plan ahead for when those guys are going to get like play for England or whatever wages are going to go up, and you've got to be shuffling people out of the squad. I don't know what Simon thinks. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I think what's clear is that some lawyers are going to get quite rich out of all of this because <laughs> this is going to this is this is not going to end. This is going to it's got legs and it. it's going to run and yep. run. I mean, I think. That, I guess that the argument they will be putting forward is that they haven't breached the salary cap because Nigel Ray has been quite clear that he sees salary is different to investment. He said salary at the end of the week, it is what it is. It doesn't go up or down. Investments, you don't, you don't guarantee to go up or down. So, I mean, that's going to have to be tested in the court of law, maybe. I mean, it's, the whole thing is surreal to me. I thought it was, you know, I thought it was bizarre enough, the whole story, until I saw Eric Idle of Monty Python coming out on Twitter <laughs> yesterday. Yes. First, first cousin of Nigel Ray. First cousin of Nigel Ray and coming out in, in, in a very strong support for him. So um, always look on the bright side of life, I suppose. Yeah, but, you know, Sarsens, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if how long this will run for. Case it could go to court. They could, you know, they could actually go to the court of arbitration. A sport, which is the, uh, the um, you know, the, the it's easy for you to say. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say that uh, myself. <laughs> top thing in Switzerland, um, but Sarsen, I've got no sympathy, Sarsen, because of them. They've, uh, um, you know, it's not been a level playing field. Plus, they're a club. Well, are they forty-five million plus in debt anyway? Uh, because they live way beyond their means. And to me, that is not uh, that's not good economics, whichever way you look at it. My view on debt has always been the same. Debt's only an issue if you haven't got anybody to guarantee it. There we go. Oh, my head in disbelief. <laughs> huh? I think we'll leave it there for the podcast for these two fall out anymore. That's it for this uh, week's podcast. You can catch all the latest news on Wales Online.